My name is Josh Walters, and this is my wife, Katie. And we are so excited that you're here joining us this weekend, whether you're here in this room, if you're joining us online, if you're at any of the campuses, we're so thankful that you're along with us um, for the ride this weekend. We have the honor of wrapping up the series that we've been in, What Does the Bible Say About Blank? Hundreds of you either texting questions, posted them on social media, so we've spent the last four weeks addressing them. In week one of this series, Pastor Chip talked with us about their, our beliefs, how they're formed, and how we change them to best love people. In week two, Pastor Josh answered, what does the Bible say about sexuality? In week three, um, Pastor Greg spoke to what does the Bible say about life? And in both of those messages, sexuality and life, they're pretty black and white as to what Scripture says. Well, today's message is all in the gray as we discuss what does the Bible say about my body. And I actually learned so much in preparing for the message, the first of which is why biblically Jesus can't wear jewelry, specifically a, a necklace. Did you know that? I, I feel like we all want to hide our necklace right now. But why can Jesus not wear jewelry? It's because he breaks every chain. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> he has dad jokes to show off for y'all. That's days. also why he would make a lousy prison warden. He sets the captives free. Okay. You know, it's, it's a deal. No, seriously, we're going to have fun today with this message, but I do want you to know, because talking about what does the Bible say about my body can be such a, a sensitive topic. Each of us come in with a lot of emotion, shame, guilt, disappointment, frustration. And I just want you to know, if at any point in the message today, you sense any of those feelings or emotions rising up in you, I want to invite you to put horns on them. That is not the Father's voice over you or the body that he created in his image. Yeah, you know, when we were going to do this message, I was like, Josh, I'm so glad to be preaching this with you because I just cannot hear another pastor talk about modesty, but you can't touch his fried chicken. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But the truth is I have my own areas of fried chicken, my own areas of struggle. And we sing these songs like I surrender all and you could have my eternal yes. And then for me, like on Tuesday morning, I can't put down the Oreos with my coffee, even though I know it's not the best thing for me. And so just like Josh is saying, this is a place of weakness actually for us. Um, we are not the most disciplined people that we know. And there's oftentimes where we can struggle to do what we know God would want us to do. And so if that's you too, this is a safe place. We're all in this together as we just kind of go to scripture to say, God, what pleases you in these areas? That's good. So let's come, come to him in prayer and we'll jump in it. God, we're thankful for these bodies that you have created in your image. You, num you, you knit them together in our mother's womb. You numbered the hairs on our head. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we acknowledge, God, that they're often a place of weakness for us, that it can be a fight to do the things that we want to do, to, to walk in ways that are healthy. And so today we just stand on your word. You say, in our weakness, your power is made perfect. And so I just speak your perfect power over all of our bodies today, that today would be a day of breaking free of shame or guilt or bondage and stepping yes. into the freedom and life that you came to offer. All God's people said, 
Amen. 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 So this morning, in setting up our time together, I wanted to take us to a passage of scripture that may be familiar to you. You know, it's a passage, a story in the Bible that I had read a couple of times, but recently something just jumped out of me that I had never seen before. And I think it'll help us to understand why our bodies valuable to God. Why does this topic matter? So we're in John, and Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha. It's six days before the crucifixion, so we know six days before he is going to be buried and risen from the dead on our behalf. But sitting here at the table with him is, is also Lazarus, and that's Mary and Martha's brother. Well, if you'll remember from the story just several weeks back, Jesus has done the miracle of all miracles. He has risen Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, gets sick and dies. Jesus comes back and raises him from the dead. Well, we know that that's going to point to the resurrection that Jesus is going to provide for us. But in this time, what happens is it starts to set everything in play for his crucifixion. The chief priests, the Pharisees are after him. The enemy is after Jesus in this moment. But what I had never read before is this in John 12. It says this, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So you see there, the enemy was not just coming for Jesus in this moment. He was coming for Lazarus. And you're thinking, why Lazarus? He's not the miracle-working God, the Savior. He's not Jesus, but he was the proof of life. He held the proof of life in his body. And friends, you and I, we are the same way. In these unique bodies, we hold the proof of life. We hold the proof of the resurrection. And so just as the enemy was after Lazarus, the enemy is after us. And if there's any ways that we don't think about our bodies the way that scripture tells us to, it's a foothold, it's a place, an open door where the enemy comes in seeking to still kill and destroy. So I love Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. That means good works in these bodies, in our unique bodies, all over this room, online, male, female, short, tall, strong and able, weak and feeble, we have good works prepared for us to do. So our, our bodies are so valuable to God. So hopefully that can set up our conversation today to know this is why it matters. The enemy is after us because we hold the proof of life right here in our physical bodies. That's right. So what does the Bible say about my body? We kind of structured all of your questions into several other questions of our own just to help us approach the conversation in the right way. The first question is this. Who does my body belong to? Who does my body belong to? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We were bought at a price. What is yeah. that price? Acts 20, 28 says, keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. God so loved you and I. Our sin had separated us from him. So he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin, paying the price in full. So here and now, we are not our own. We were bought at a price. It makes me think if I were to call you and ask if I could borrow 
a car, which we have done several times with several of you. Shout out to the Ellers. <laughs> we were just in a pinch. You helped us out. But um, if I were to call and say, hey, can I borrow your car? If you had one, hopefully you'd say, yeah, sure. But you probably have some questions, right? Like, how long do you need it? Where are you going to go? You know, I would, I would be careful knowing that I've got seven kids to not leave their chicken nuggets in the back of the car, right? I wouldn't put a bumper sticker on the back window. My kid is an honor roll student or my kid beat up your honor roll student. I wouldn't put those on the car because it's not mine. I wouldn't preset the radio, right? Because it's your radio. I would be returning it to you. Well, much yeah. in the same way, God has given us these bodies on loan. They were bought at a price, and as much as I would like to think that I can choose and decide where I take it, what I put in it, and how I clothe it, oftentimes that is the starting point of my thought process and the way that I would think, but the reality is I am not my own. I was bought at a price. Yeah. You know, when this truth started to become real to me, the first scripture Josh said is that we were the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. And I remember, you know, we're all at different starting points, but I remember when I first started to take hold of that truth, like, oh my gosh, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants to make his home in me. He wants to live with me and walk with me and talk with me. And you remember we were taking kids down to Myrtle Beach on a student trip. We were probably 18, 19 years old. Which should have been the first point of concern because crazy stuff happens at Myrtle Beach, you know? Crazy fun stuff. Shout out to the Conway <laughs> we campus. We love you, Conway campus. Be on your guard. <laughs> but it, it was an awesome time. But we get down there, and this pastor is preaching about you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I leave that message, and I am fired up. And I'm like, Josh, I'm a temple. I am a church, and I've got the best idea. I'm going to go today and get a tattoo of a church on my back because I am the church. I was like, I'm the temple. And I'm just so excited about it. And so Josh, thankfully, in his like infinite wisdom, was like, well, babe, why don't you go to the henna place first and get like a henna version and wear it out, see how it feels. And my, it wasn't wisdom. My thought was like, stained glass is beautiful, but it ain't sexy. I don't know that we can put that <laughs> all over. Whatever <laughs> reasoning was. I'm so glad I did it because I put that thing on, that henna tattoo, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really feeling a church on my back. Well, y'all, we did not know we were going to be called to be pastors at this point. So can y'all imagine the rest of my life, my friends would have been like, oh, that girl's got the whole church on her back. <laughs> like, it would have been the like, biggest joke ever. So I'm like, thank you that I did not get a church on my back. But you know, you come at this point with all different you know, places. And for some of you, this may be a new revelation of like, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of me. And it's, it's good news. It's meant to be good news. You know, We don't just get Jesus on Sunday mornings. We get him every day. And I don't know about y'all, but I need him every day. And so this is meant to be good good news for us. You know, there's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 22, that says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is now a bondservant of Christ. And I love thinking about that scripture because, you know, there are some of us that we were enslaved to so many things before Jesus. And he wants us to know, like, you are free. You are free in me. And then there's some of us like your girl here who lived a little free, you know what I'm saying? And, and now God is wants to remind me, like, you are my bondservant, and I am yours, and you are mine. And so there's some things that we need to ask him about. And that's how, when we go through all these different questions that came in, you know, most of these are personal convictions where we're going to want to take them to Scripture and then ask the Holy Spirit, you know, God, what pleases you for me in this? Yeah, and in this conversation, depending on your starting point, you know, I understand if you think, well, man, God, 
God wants my, my time. He wants my checkbook. He wants my body. You know, depending on your perspective of God, if he is the football coach that's always on your back or the parent that you can never please, like, man, this truth might land heavy on you. But the reality of it is John 10, 10 says the enemy came to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The reason any one of you would let me borrow your car is that it might be a blessing to me. That you would lend it to me. Well, much in the same way, God has given us these bodies, man, that they might empower us to fulfill the purpose that he's called yeah. us to, that it would be a blessing for us so we can trust him with it. So number one, who does my body belong to? It belongs to God. Number two is, does God care what I do with my body? And this is where the majority of your questions came in. These gray areas of what does the Bible say, have to say about different choices that I make or things that I, I'm going to do in my life. And wanted to start off by giving us a couple of scriptures just as a starting point for as we jump in to some of these. The first of which is uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 15. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies were are members of Christ himself? So I have the right to do anything. I am free in Christ. We live in a free nation, but not everything is beneficial. He goes on to say in chapter 10, using the same language, uh, everything is permissible, but not everything will build you up. And so it's an important starting point for this conversation to know that for each of us, the answer to these items might be different. What you are free to do, what might be beneficial and build you up might not be something that's beneficial to me. So much so, Paul said in Romans 14, 22 through 23, the emperor at this time had kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Five years later, he would die and Jews would start to return and discover that the Christian church was made up more of Gentiles. And so their lifestyle habits, food they were eating and drinking was stuff that Jews very much had a problem with. So the people were arguing about these lifestyle choices. And Paul says in chapter 14, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So in other words, bring these things to God in prayer, and the two of you come to a place of personal conviction about it. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. In other words, as soon as we proclaim my personal conviction as the conviction or way for all, we ourselves stand condemned because what I may be free to do, you may not be free to do. He says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So acknowledge in our freedom, not everything is going to be beneficial to me. It's important that I come to a place of faith, a decision for what's right for me, what's right for our family. That is a step of faith, not a desire that I'm going to pursue or not something that I just want to have or experience, but a faith decision as to what's okay for me. Yeah, you know, often these questions that we're about to go through, they have involved hours of one-on-one -on -one counseling. You guys may have talked about these in the context of your small group. This first one is, what does the Bible say about cremation? That one has been hours of discussion in our own home. You know, so with all of these questions, this won't be an exhaustive list of what does the Bible say, but just a couple of scriptures to give you some talking points to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, to those you love. So the first one is, what does the Bible say about cremation? And I don't know how many of you were on team cremation or team burial, but we definitely had so much to talk about in our house because I always 
assumed I'm going to be cremated. My Nana was cremated. It's just the way it's going to be. And Josh and I always had, thought I would be laid to rest. You know what I'm saying? And all kinds of like Jesus. creepy ideas that came with that. Like he wanted us to be side by side. So when the resurrection happened, we would be facing each other. Listen, you're not given in marriage <laughs> in heaven. And so I'm thinking there might be some like supernatural mingling in the... No, his papa used to say, make sure I have socks on so my feet don't get cold. And I'm like, no, I can't think about anything like that. It just creeps me out. And so, but, you know, we know in the traditionally in the Old Testament and the New Testament, burial was the method. I mean, we know Jesus's body was laid in a tomb, but we do have a couple of scriptures that can kind of give us a framework for both. Um, the first one is Genesis 3:19. It says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. One of Josh's life verses is Acts 13, 36. It said, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. So through the course of this and looking at scripture, we know that our bodies are gonna decay. Josh said at one point, he was like, so I guess it's just a question of timing. Like, you know, um, we're gonna return to dust. We're gonna be dust and cremation is just accelerating the process. (laughs) I mean, of you getting there. That's true. <laughs> but either way, you know, this is an area we know. Which makes me think I know what we should do. Oh, gosh. Okay. But. If we're both cremated and then we have our kids pour both of our ashes into one container and the resurrection. That's great. That's a great idea. <laughs> For some of y'all, that's revelation today. You didn't know how this was going to go down. <laughs> Want it to be away. one. That's your last opportunity. <laughs> so. That's good. So this is there you can take to the Lord. But remember, our hope is secure and that we don't need our physical bodies for the spiritual bodies that are going to come um, in the resurrection. So that's cremation. The second question. Second, what does the Bible say about alcohol consumption? It gives us a, a full spectrum of response in terms of how we can engage. The first of which is Psalm 104, 14 through 15. It says, he makes grass to grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food for the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man. Can I get an amen on that at 1130? (laughs) No. (laughs) Wine that gladdens the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. And bread that sustains his heart. We know Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Like surely there is some gladness, some joy, some celebrative goodness that comes from consuming alcohol. Paul also tells Timothy that there's some medical benefit to it. He says in 1 Timothy 5, 23, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Some of y'all have been looking for a mentor for a long time to tell you to drink (laughs) wine, okay? And so while we see that it's good and there is benefit to it, man, scripture also warns us of its incredible dangers. Proverbs 23, 31 through 32 says, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't drink too much because it's going to set you on a path of pursuing you fulfilling the desires of your flesh. And this is why it's, yeah. it's so important that we come to a personal place of conviction because for some of you, you might be able to have a glass of wine and walk away, but there's others. If you open a bottle, you've got to drink the whole bottle. Maybe you grew up in a 
home where there was alcohol abuse or you just have an addictive personality and this is a place of struggle for you, we can't assume that the things I'm free to do are the things that, that everyone else would be free to do. In fact, that's one of the warnings we get in Romans 14, 21. It says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So we have to question, one, is this something beneficial for me? Is it something that I can handle? But then two, we have to ask, who are the people that I'm going to be doing it with? And if they don't share in the same freedoms, if it's going to cause them to stumble when I drink wine or alcohol of some kind, then that ought to be the indicator for me that I shouldn't do it. Yeah, one of the guardrails, guardrails I use for this in my life is the first scripture that Joshman mentions, 1 Corinthians 6 where it says everything is permissible, but I won't be mastered by anything. And so oftentimes we will fast. We, you know, do this frequently to make sure like that we're not being mastered. And so I had fasted at my 30th birthday and coming into my 40th birthday recently, I really thought I was going to fast again. Well, we had chosen. And then right after chosen, I go outside with a girl that I had met at chosen and she had been sober for four years, and I was so proud of her. She had come to just get a touch from God that weekend. So I go to do her baptism, and I'm like, everybody, this is Sarah, and this is her story, and I'm going to fast with her, and I think you all should fast with her, and we should all do, you know, start this fast tonight. Well, then I get home, and Josh has all my birthday things out for the weekend, including a bottle of wine. And I was like, babe, you just heard me announce in front of the whole church that I'm not about to fast. Not on your birthday? He was like, not on your birthday weekend. <laughs> and so I was like, really? And I tell you that this morning, not just to clear my conscience, even though it does help, because like I said, <laughs> I announced this in front of the whole church, but also to say, you know, you can have these areas of personal conviction that you fall short of, and I want you to know that you are not alone in that. And so if that happens, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you, you set this guardrail or you decide to do something and then you fall short, you know, you are not alone. And it doesn't mean we have to say, well, forget that. I'm never going to do that again. Or it must not matter to Jesus at all. But instead we can re-up and come back to these places of personal freedom, you know, around these different topics. So that's good. All right, the next question is one of two today that is not mentioned directly in Scripture. And this is uh, the question that came in around sexual pleasure, sexual gratification, or masturbation. And I know that is an uncomfortable topic to talk about in church. Trust me, I'm as uncomfortable as all of you are. So <laughs> we're just, but it is important to talk about. And I wanted to be the one to talk about it because culturally, most of the time, this is pinned as a man's issue. But I have met with so many women who have struggled in this area. And when we go to look at what scripture says, you know, I want you to rem remember with eyes of compassion all the different instances of people that could be you know, struggling with this act, a, a woman or a man who've been single for a long time trying to figure out what to do with these desires of their flesh, a man or woman who have been married 30 or 40 years and have lost their wife and then trying to figure out what to do with the desires of their flesh and wanting to satisfy those. You know, I talked with a nurse this week who said that doctors and nurses prescribe this often as physical therapy or a rehabilitation of cells. And so oftentimes it's not so clear for us, but we do know that what happens is Oftentimes, this act is done in private, and then the enemy gets a foothold, a place of shame that wants to trap us in there. And that's why we feel it's so important to say you're not alone in this struggle if you have been there and you're seeking freedom. You know, we see in Ephesians 5.3, it says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality 
or any kind of impurity. And we know if you've lived long enough to have an active imagination or you go to this act, some of you may be feeling convicted that there is impurity in it. And so to know God cares about that. He does not want you to have any kind of places of shame or condemnation and wants you to be able to bring this to him for freedom. Another verse is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we just encourage you this morning to know that, again, number one, you're not alone. Don't let shame wreak havoc. But this is another area that the Bible doesn't speak to directly, so we don't have 0% tolerance or just have at it. But you have the Holy Spirit inside of you to walk with you and figure out the next steps for freedom for you. That's great. So what does the Bible say, or does God care what I do with my body? Cremation, alcohol, consumption, masturbation. The next one is tattoos. What does the Bible say about tattoos? And I'm curious, by a show of hands, how many of you have a tattoo? Let me see. Look at here. Woo-hoo, I didn't know you okay. had a tattoo. Gosh. <laughs> She's good. We're going to have show and tell at response time. No, we're not. Myrtle Beach, senior year of high school. Stop. <laughs> <Right> there. <laughs> there will be no response station today to show off our tattoos. <laughs> Leviticus 19, oh says it this way. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. So for all of oh. you who raised your hand, you sinners. We're in trouble. <laughs> naughty, naughty boy. I'm just kidding. Now, the okay. context of this passage, context is king in every interpretation of Scripture. And so it's so important. You can't just pull a passage out and, and make it mean what you want to. And this one in particular is talking about pagan and idol worship, people that were putting marks on themselves to identify with a pagan god or an idol they worship. Now, it's pretty unlikely that any of you here would probably go to get a, a tattoo of Buddha on your belly uh, or something of that nature. But in our culture, we all have idols, things that we prioritize or elevate to a degree in our life that they can become number one in our life. Maybe that would be a, a dollar sign for you. Or we had one pastor here before Jesus who got a tattoo of a Playboy bunny on their, uh, on their he, leg. He redeemed the bunny, though. He turned it into something. He put a cross Spiritual necklace on. or something. I'm just kidding. I don't know what he did. I don't know what he turned but into. But you may well have, have idols in your life of some kind that those too, yeah, would be inappropriate to, to get those on you. But for some, I know that's a place of judgment for you. You might have grown up seeing people with tattoos, and it's a credibility killer for you. Yeah. You have a hard time hearing, talking from, receiving truth from if they were a teaching pastor for you or something or of that nature. Uh, but if it's not for pagan or idol worship, then it's a place that we can be free. I love in Revelation 19, 16, it says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's talking about Jesus upon his return. And most scholars say, man, the book of Revelation is loaded with, with symbolism. He probably literally doesn't have a tattoo on his thigh. But for all of us who are questioning our freedom in this area, how do I treat my body? Is it okay to get a tattoo similar to Katie's church? I would say move slow, give it some time, get some henna, anything else before you commit, right? And just ensure that it's not an idol of worship in your life. So the next one isn't really controversial at all. It is our last one, and it is what does the Bible say about vaccines? <laughs> Fortunately, nothing. And so we'll move right on from that one. <laughs> Can we get a pass? I know. We're with you all. 
So this is the you know, second topic of the ones we address that there is no mentioning of in Scripture. And all of us come preloaded with some thoughts or conviction when it's come to this conversation. And so I just want to give you uh, one bit of encouragement as you're approaching it. And for some of you, you know, the scripture that we discussed that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit is, is a bit of a life verse for you. You've been very disciplined with what you put in your body, how you treat it. Uh, you, you exercise and care for yourselves in hopes that your immune system is strong and will do everything that God created it to do. We have other friends here in this church who uh, are overcoming illnesses, diseases of some kind, who have an autoimmune disease. They're incapable of fighting off disease on their own, and they are very dependent on the vaccine, whereas the others would find it insulting to even consider putting something like that in their body. And then we have people at every measure of concern along that spectrum. Well, the unique thing for each of us in, a, in approaching these conversations is that we tend to talk with, associate, hang with, listen to news outlets or media of people who see things the way that we do. And the, the danger there in doing so is that we can over time point a finger of blame instead of sit at a table of conversation. Yeah. And we miss out on the fullness that is the body of Christ. If all of those people are here yeah. in this room, if all of those people are here in this room, then man, it's important that I take on the posture of learner. The word yes. disciple literally means learner. And so in these areas, that aren't clear in scripture, man, we get to leverage the fullness of the body of Christ and say, hey, I think you might see this very different than me. Can you help me understand why? See what you could learn, yeah. see what kind of compassion it might bring about in you to help you see things differently. Sorry, I love the verse Galatians 5, 6. It says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And you know, the start of that, Galatians 5, is all about, therefore, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And Paul goes on to talk about circumcision and how that should never be a barrier to the message of the cross. And it's funny, we didn't have any questions come in about circumcision during the series. Maybe we got that one settled. But you know, it's just another example of this topic, just like the other ones, that nothing should become a barrier to the message of the cross of Christ. So if we can just do what you're saying, learn from each other, and then um, take these things to the Lord and let him know, you know, what pleases you for me in this area. That's great. So who does my body belong to? Does God care what I do with my body? And the last question, what does it look like to give my body to God? What does it look like to give my body to God? Romans 12, one says, brothers and sisters, God has shown you his mercy. So I am asking you to offer up your bodies to him while you are still alive. Your bodies are a holy sacrifice that is pleasing to God. When you offer up your bodies to God, you are worshiping him in the right way. You know, in so many of the, the questions that we're sent in, our, our posture is often figuring out how close we can get to a line. How much of what I desire can I experience and still be a man or a woman who is set apart and holy to God? And the best example for us here is, is Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He gave his body over to the Lord. He gave up his body for you and for me. Yeah. The best posture that we can take, and Pastor Greg always says, what's the, the danger with a living sacrifice is that it crawls off the altar, right? And so for yeah. each of us, it's the reason the Bible says if anyone would come after him, he must take up his cross daily and follow him. Us offering our bodies unto the Lord isn't just a decision we make at salvation when we put our faith in him, but a decision as Christ followers that every day I've got to re-up. Okay, I've got this car on loan from you. What would it look yeah. like for me to lay my life down and give it over fully to serving others today? 
Yeah, Jesus is our perfect example. And one of our examples of Jesus with skin on in our life was Josh's dad or our people that many of you have heard us talk about. You know, he passed away in 2017, but 10 years prior to that, he got a diagnosis of cancer. And he said, would say that that was one of the best days of his life. Because on that day, in that diagnosis, he decided, God, I'm yours. He truly lived this way of offering his body over serving his church. He was at the prayer room every morning, first thing at 6 a.m. He served our family unconditionally, was my phone call every day to talk through all the aspects of the kids' day. He drove down and would take the kids, such a servant-hearted man. Well, in the year that he passed on April the 12th, he went in for a routine biopsy and developed a brain bleed. And from that moment on, um, his body was forever changed. He, this rock, strong man of our family was incapable of changing himself, of talking, of walking. And so walking with him over the course of that year, we knew we started grieving very quickly, knowing that everything for him had changed. Around September, they moved in with us and watching his mom care for him every single day and knowing that we were praying every day for a miracle, knowing that one touch from God and he could be healed, but also anchoring our hope in eternity. You know, as those days started to draw closer and we knew that death was potentially imminent for him, on December 22nd, that morning, God woke me up at five in the morning and I'll never forget it because I had this anticipation, the same anticipation that reminded me of what Josh and I call baby day. So for us, we are really familiar with baby day. If you've ever experienced this, you know, we have seven kids, but on this day you wake up and there, there's some fear of what's about to happen, but there's so much excitement and anticipation because what you know is that you're about to see in person this child that you've prayed for, loved, thought about, and, and you're going to see their face and hold them and experience that life in, in full. But doctors tell us that on that day for the baby, it could feel like death, that process. Our babies have come out black and blue and your skull is crushed in that process. There is a reason God has us forget that day. <laughs> but that moment could feel like death to them. But actually, they're about to experience a more full version of life. And that morning when God woke me up with that same anticipation, it was almost as if he started to speak all these things over my soul. You know, Katie, what's going to feel like soul-crushing loss to you today as you get really close to tasting the sting of death? I want you to know, for people, he has a baby day coming. And he is going to be walking into the most full version of his physical body that he could ever dream of. He's going to be walking with me and talking with me and experiencing this love for me that you only know in part. And, you know, I tell you that today because, friends, we know that our body belongs to God. And while we're here, we're going to struggle in these bodies. We're going to struggle with sin or with personal conviction or we're going to struggle to know exactly what to do or to master things that we want to master some of us are going to struggle with physical illnesses, and I'm believing today during the time of prayer, this is a house of miracles, and he can do something in a touch from him to take away a physical illness. He, that is our God, and we've seen him do it time and time again, but we all are anchored in the hope that we all have a baby day coming. There is a day that we are going to walk into eternity, and just like that song we sang, Christ be magnified at the start of this service, that if we join him in suffering, we're going to rise with him all. Also. And that is coming for all of us. It is so much to celebrate. You're right. This eternal 
eternal life. So this scripture that has become so cherished to me in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, it says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. So thank you, Jesus, that all of us know that we have a day coming where we are gonna be fully free to experience the spiritual bodies that he has designed for us to live in. Will you all pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this truth. We thank you that you have designed each one of us for good works prepared in advance for us to do, that these bodies are important and valuable to you. And we ask today for a touch, for anybody under the sound of my voice that needs a touch from you, a miracle, to be able to walk more in freedom, Father, in whatever way they need that freedom, whether it's physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. God, you can do it by the, just the, the touch of your hands. We thank you for that miracle working power. And God, we also thank you for the hope of eternity, that there will come a day where we are going to know know in full what we only know in part, and it is in your son's name we pray. Amen.